everyone. Welcome to the Racing Riders Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Crandall. I have a returning guest for you this week. Back on the show is Daniel Hemrick, now a part-time driver for JR Motorsports in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Daniel takes us inside the eight team and explains how things are going and the adjustment he's gone through transitioning back to the Xfinity Series. Having a limited schedule is much different than what he'd been doing the previous few seasons. It's a good conversation, which I know I tell you every week, but I'm only here to bring you good content, not to hear my own voice. And Daniel is a great interview, honest and gracious with his time. But I admit, the topics are tough, and I didn't mean for that to happen. As I was editing this episode, I felt almost like I had been grilling Daniel. I hope he didn't feel the same way, but it has been a bit of a tough season. He opens up about having to reevaluate things, pushing too hard behind the wheel, and trying to prove what he's capable of. Now, on the one hand, Daniel has six DNFs this season for engine failures or being caught up in accidents. On the other hand, in the races he has finished, it's been inside the top 10. So it's not as if there has been no success here for he and the team. Although I'm sure Daniel and crew chief Taylor Moyer would just like there to be a little bit more. Maybe they need a shirt from Breaking Tea to help the cause. Breaking Tea has comfortable and durable shirts that capture a memorable moment from the sport you love. Racing shirts are available, including Racing Not Racism, Defund Racism, TikTok featuring that grandfather clock from Martinsville, more short tracks or more road courses, The Bounty Bow, and KFB. Speaking of KFB, it is still 2020. Maybe that will be the next shirt that Breaking Tea offers. We should talk to them about that. Head over to breakingtea.com slash Kelly to find a shirt and wear the moment. And now I give you Daniel Hemrick on the Racing Riders Podcast. Well, we've been laughing about 2020 being such a crazy year, Daniel, but I'm curious, a season like this and back to racing now, we're, what, two, three months back into racing. Do you feel like you've done a good job of having to be one of these people to where we're all just adapting as we go to the year, to seasons, to racing? Are you somebody that's been able to do that? You feel like you've adapted well to the craziness that is 2020? I mean, it's uh, kind of a nature of the beast, right? Either sink or swim and something we've all had to do no matter what our job occupation is or how we prepare for whatever is ahead of us and yeah, we've had to do it a, a totally different way I mean there's no different on the NASCAR side as you know well I think for myself coming into a new organization really just starting to learn five or ten maybe 15 of the guys names at the shop and then bam can't be around them I think that's probably been one of the harder things to acclimate myself to is one how do you build a relationship via phone and zoom calls and however else you can communicate uh, without doing it in person i'm a very uh hands-on face-to-face kind of guy no matter what i'm doing especially on the racing side so but we're all adapting we're learning how to maximize that but it's ever-changing as well how has it been when you go to the racetrack now because drivers have to isolate you don't get that full weekend it's show up and race how do you spend your time when you get to the racetrack, staying isolated and just trying to pass the time before it's time to walk to your car? For us, let me talk about the team a little bit first. You know, they get there and they're just constantly one thing after another, getting unloaded, getting through tech. If they have any issues, you know, going through all that stuff. So there's a couple hours there where the team does their thing and I'm kind of 
back of the coach hanging out, going through race footage and maybe some of our prior emails and stuff we've shared and whether it be, you know, how we're attacking today, more or less going through the plan for, you know, what my job is on the racetrack that day and how we're going to execute a race. And then right then about an hour or so before the race, there's usually a little window there where myself, my crew chief, my engineer, we try to get on a call together and just make sure we got all of our I's dotted and our T's crossed. And I think we've done a fairly good job of when we haven't had parts failures or uh, I haven't made a mistake or, or vice versa, where we've executed to those calls like we planned. But yeah, it's just a very strange time where you're sitting there just, there's only so much prep you can do. There's only so much video you can watch and without getting on the racetrack and really knowing what kind of race car you got or how the tire's going to feel or how the racetrack's going to feel that particular weekend, you just got to get there and do it. So there's a time where you're sitting there just antsy, waiting, probably been the hardest thing about the, the scheduling and, and the way it has been at the racetrack during that time. I've said it a few times here on the podcast and just to people in passing that one of the most fascinating things for me to watch is that you're so used to seeing drivers with entourages or drivers not having to <laughs> handle things that they now handle, like carrying your own stuff to the car and having to worry about drink bottles or helmets or shoes. So I have to ask, have you forgotten anything that you've had to bring on your own? You know, I've talked to Tyler Reddick. He's forgotten drink bottles and he sold Justin Haley out and said Justin forgot socks and different things like that. <laughs> have you forgotten anything? <laughs> it's funny you ask that because I think I've done a, I've done a fairly good job of remembering everything for the most part. I, nothing really stands out. But I'll tell you, you have so much of that stuff on your mind. That when you get to the race car, if it's not laying there or whatnot, you're kind of, you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, you got to go on. Well, last week at Road America, one of the things we're responsible for is bringing our uh, heat shields for our hills so they don't get hot. In road racing, that typically tends to be a little bit of a, a more focused area because of the braking and the way the heat traps in the car. So I uh, had my heat shield with me. I get to the car. I typically always Velcro them to my window net. They're kind of just sitting there. So after the national anthem and the prayer, I can uh, put them on and get in the car. And right before we did the National Anthem, we had a quick shower come through. And I took them so they can get soaking wet and threw them inside the car. Well, fast forward, National Anthem prayer, get in the car, get buckled in. I mean, I'm like, I'm in the car, ready to rock. And uh, my car chief, Danny Earnhardt Jr., he leans in, always takes care of me, by the way. He leans in, he said, huh, no heat chills today, huh? And I was like, Oh my gosh, they are for sure somewhere down here in the car next to me somewhere. I looked at them, like I said, a helmet on, so I've only got this little BI port, you can imagine, trying to paint the picture for you. I said, you ever put a driver's heat shield on for him inside the car? <laughs> he said, no. I said, well, me neither. We're getting ready to try it. So I was actually impressed. He got in the car, all up in my business, <laughs> down between my legs, trying to get my heat shields on, and we got them just as time uh, to roll off the grid. But that was really the only thing I've actually – forgotten and it wasn't really forgot i just forgot where i placed it right before i needed it yeah, again it's just not something that drivers typically have to worry about and it's again very fascinating for me and it's going to be one of the things that 2020 will be remembered for let me switch gears let's talk about what's been going on on the racetrack if you take out those unfortunate five dnfs you behind the wheel this eight team you've had all top tens when you take away again take away those dnfs so have things been as bad as they may look on paper if you're just going by results when because you're again your eye is going to be drawn to those unfortunate finishes have things been as bad for you guys as they may look how would you sum up your time so far in the eight car have they been as bad I'm trying to figure out how to answer that i feel like yes i have a pit in my stomach for 
the finishing orders or positions that show DNS because I'm going to try to remember most of them. Vegas, I just overstepped what the limit was. I mean, that's plain and simple. That was our first one, and I uh, just got caught up in a restart crash there at Phoenix. Outside of that, we've literally been passing for second or third, other than Pocono, uh, which we were still passing for second, I believe, was all within the last five to ten laps of the race on a restart or something crazy. So I'm not sure that makes that worse or, or better. But, uh, yeah, that stuff has been rough. But I think you try to uh, – listen, I've been known to be an optimist to a T, and you try to look at the positive and the bright side of it is, hey, if we were passing for spots inside the top two and three, and that takes a, a strong race team and a lot of preparation on all parts to be able to be in those positions. Uh, let me tell you, you know, being out of the Xfinity cars for a year – and getting back in them, so much fun to drive. There's also a lot that goes into just the mechanical grip side and things you have to approach. Put yourselves in those positions. And I think from the eight teams' perspective that we've gotten these cars a lot closer to what I want them to feel like, a lot closer to what I need. And we've had to do that without one single lap of practice. So every race has been a bit of a, a practice for us. So all that being said, we've continually still had speed and had opportunities to run inside the top five and, Line up on the first two or three rows with a final restart numerous times. But when you look at it, five DNFs is not going to get you very far in anything. So we got to figure out whatever it is that is creating that or whether it's circumstances or my decision making or just pure wrong place at wrong time. I'm not sure, but no, it hasn't been as bad as it looks, but we're trying to right the other ship as well. Well, and that's exactly what I meant. I guess I, I, I probably should have phrased that better in the sense of, again, if you take out the unfortunate side of the DNF, some of them in your control some of them not in your control. This team looks like it has performed very well. Because, again, you've had all top tens in those other races. I guess I apologize. I could have phrased it a little bit better. But the point no, being fine. the point being that this team can pull off top tens. You've shown you can run up front. Have the goals or expectations changed as the year has gone on? Is the goal top tens is it wins? Has anything changed from when you sit down and you kind of preview the year to where you are now in August, having gotten, I think at this point, about 12 races under your belt? Yeah, I think things have changed substantially. You know, I look back at, you look back at any interview I did post last year, and I said the only reason I was making this move to junior motorsports was to go have a shot to win races, to go win races, and that was it. We go out to Vegas, and I felt like, I had nowhere near the balance I needed to do that in our race cars. And ever since then, it's been a constant evolution of what we need to give me that opportunity. Have we hit on it? No. But from that point on, we've had to evaluate, okay. And quite frankly, I think everybody on my race team has been a long time since they've won or they haven't won at all. So with all of us trying to achieve the same goal and pull the rope in the same direction, and we've had to do it under some very intense, uh, unique circumstances with 2020 being what it's been. So, uh, we did. We had to, okay, you know, I felt like we did it on a percentage scale. I told them after we ran the first couple of races, I thought we were about 60% of where we needed to be. Um, I asked my engineer, my crew chief, give me 20% for the next race. If you can give me 20%, that'll put us inside the top five where we can run there and try to find ourselves positioned to steal a win. We took that step pretty quick, I felt like. We went to Charlotte, we kind of strategy into a second um, but we had good performance all night followed it up i think we had good runs at atlanta and a couple of places we got crashed inside the top five so we took that 20 percent step but 
we still had to keep evaluating, okay, where are we at now? So now we're looking for that last 10 to 15% for what will allow us to go lead laps, right? Very, very rarely in any of the top three series are you going to go win these races without having speed or speed to lead laps. Um, that's what really makes the best opportunity to win. And we haven't been able to do that yet. So we're still 10 or 15% away from getting our cars where they're capable of doing that. And that's been a whole process over the last 12 races of reevaluating what's realistic, what our goals are, how do we keep moving forward. You mentioned it there at the end of last year, even early this year, of you put it out there that you want to win races and prove yourself, especially after how last year ended and that whole situation. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I know you, you'll handle it well. And, and that being, if you don't win this year, Daniel, in, in the rest of these races that you have, do you think your stock will go down a little bit? Because you and I have talked about it before of not yet having won in any of the series you've been in. You've come close, you've run well, you've proven yourself well. If you go another year to where you know you're in really good equipment, people know you're in really good equipment, and you still can't break through, do you think that will hurt you in any way? Uh, I don't think it helps me, um, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I look at, like I said, the, the reason I made the move was under a certain box of expectations of what I expected. And I'm confident that Junior Motorsports hired me on to do exactly what we set out to do, you know, for my select amount of races in the car. And, and I think we had to all come to the realization that very quickly, our group as a whole, we were not ready to win races for whatever reason. So I can get caught up in the stock talk and all that, but at the end of the day, I know what I'm driving. Uh, I know what I've been driving. I've said that time and time again. Our teammates did have some success. You know, the Nines had some success. and But quite frankly, we're all kind of back to reality now, right? I mean, the, the Penske cars, the Gibbs cars are just on a different level from our cars right now. And, you know, like I said, in, in being quite upfront, I don't think we're by no means the, the best car outside of our organization week in and week out. So we've had to improve on that. Um, I think the ones that have worked side by side with me, no matter what level I was at, have kind of seen value in, in how I approach and um, how I kind of try to, to keep building the organizations forward. I hate to say I'm part of that same deal, but I'm, that's what I'm a part of right now is for trying to build. And it's it tough to do that in a part-time deal. Absolutely. But we still haven't lost sight in the goals and, and the stock, obviously. Yes, it's going to be what it's going to be. Uh, I'll feel confident myself, though, if we can keep moving forward and give ourselves shots. You make an interesting point there. You said in building something, and you had said earlier that a lot of the guys on your team maybe had not won before or haven't won in a while. Explain for folks, because this eight team has been around and run the last couple years, but explain for folks who maybe don't know what the makeup of your team is in terms of the guys and their experience. And again, because you're saying trying to build something here. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, our team, you know, got honestly from what the eight team was last year, got completely rearranged. My engineer is first year with our organization, period. First year with our manufacturer as, as a whole. That brings its own challenges. My crew chief, Taylor Moyer, right, it's his second year being a crew chief and doesn't have crew chief experience of any kind prior to uh, taking the job at JRM. And I do have some experience with my car chief and with my front end mechanic. And some of the three or four guys on my team have been the same, but a lot of us are, I say, learning and young, but I feel like, you know, they've had to look at me a lot like, hey, what do you expect going to this racetrack? How are these changes going to affect you? And find myself in the car kind of pointing the direction of what adjustments to make, how to go about it. And I think that just comes from some of my experience I've gained, not only, you know, since, what, 2015 or so being in NASCAR ranks, but over time, right, of racing and 
having to make adjustments that I know make me tick. So it's a very unique lineup, but I will say all that in knowing that the potential for our group is extremely high. And once we figure out a way to get the DNFs off the card from parts being all of our own at some point or another, have all the potential in the world to be really good. Just a matter of us continuing to fire on all cylinders and figuring out what makes everybody, I guess whatever makes everybody motivated. Everybody ticks off something different and we've slowly gotten there. The potential is there. You've also talked about how you guys have reevaluated what's realistic, what's not, kind of refocused yourself. You personally, Daniel, have you had to do that at all? Have you had to refocus, resettle, maybe calm yourself down? Because I think back to March where you had a tweet about just mistakes you had made and how rough things had been. You've explained about the team, you personally, have you had to do the same thing? Maybe just kind of, okay, take a step back, take a deep breath, regroup, resettle, and focus on one race at a time? Yeah, you're exactly right. Yes. Yeah. So I went to Vegas my first time in this eight car and said, I'm here to win the race. Knew I didn't like what I felt and continued to overstep that. We're a couple laps away from the stage and I just lost it. That's all there was to it. And probably one of the first times I remember in my career just doing that. And I thought, my gosh, that was very unprecedented go to Phoenix put myself in a bad spot did the same thing and that's when it was take a deep breath regroup and then that's whenever we all kind of started going through the COVID situation and whatnot and so it really gave me a little bit of time to step back and you know we talked about reevaluation of the team but myself as far as okay what am I doing is my preparation off it am I just pushing for something that's not there and I think that's where I had to come to realization that no matter what you're not going to take a sixth seventh eighth place car or even fourth to eighth place car and just go win one of these races and dominate these races. So how do you personally, mentally put yourself in position to outsmart slash outrace these guys? And we came back after the break and thought we were doing a really good job of that. Had a couple of hiccups along the road. But since then, I think bearing not getting crashed or having a mechanical failure, I never pat myself on the back. But I've been happy with minimizing mistakes on my end and trying to take a fifth or sixth place car, try to run fourth or fifth with it, trying to run second or third with it. And you do that enough, you put yourself in position, not only are you bringing race cars back, you can continue to build on and work on by continuing to build a mental notebook of myself of what positions and, and how to place myself throughout these events. And I think it's only making myself stronger and all of us stronger. We started off this conversation talking about adapting in 2020 and all of these restrictions. We've talked about this team trying to build something. How difficult or is it even explainable of how difficult it is for a team to not only build chemistry, but to try to perform to their potential and expectations when you're not getting track time, you're not getting practice, you're not getting qualifying, <laughs> you probably can't even see each other in person. You know, I believe you'd mentioned it's Zoom meetings and phone calls. Is there any way to describe how difficult it is for a part-time driver to try to build something with the team when Again, you're not getting practice, you're not getting anything you would in a normal season, but yet so many people would say, oh, well, they're simulators and iRacing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think you can possibly put in the words what that's like. Uh, I laugh when you're asking that question because I remember like race five or six, kind of through that reevaluation process of myself and my race team. I remember Noah was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do this, get down in turn one because I'm going to be back next week. And that, that key with me because I thought, you know what? That's uh, fine. If you can have that attitude about it, great, because you know you're going to be back. That's not the situation I'm in, nor my teammate Jeb Burton, right? So I'd like to think our preparation going to these races and the positions you can put yourself in, it doesn't give you a lot of security, which I hate using that word, but it doesn't give you a lot of security. So you have to tiptoe a little bit, but then you also, when you have a chance to make a big move, 
to go for a win or capitalize on a really good finish, I feel like you have to take that as well because without making those moves, you're going to regret it. And that could be career defining. So I found myself on both sides <laughs> of, of that. But yeah, it, there's no way to put in the words what it's like to try to build that chemistry, build that confidence with your race team. I've always said it may be something that even hinders me, but knowing, I don't think I know everything about these race cars or the processes of building them, but you know, having to do a lot of it on my own growing up, I have a pretty good idea what I want and what I want to feel and what I like and things I don't like. Cause now I've driven enough race cars too, where I know certain things that I, as a driver do not like in my race car. So that may be totally different than what our eight group does or what our junior motorsports team does. And that's something that I've had to look them in the eye and build that confidence with them, you know, via what, what we're doing right now, talking on this uh, phone call to make them trust what I'm saying, trust changing a complete, totally different set of parts and pieces in a race car. And we've proven them to be better. I mean, our raw average running position, the finish position doesn't line up, but raw speed has been better. So it's one of those things where it's unbelievably hard to do that when you're not working week in and week out through practices. But I think we've done a good job of maximizing it and making the most of it. You're familiar with SMT data because that was available to you in the Cup Series. I believe this is the first year the Xfinity Series teams and drivers have been able to use it. What difference do you think that's made for drivers? I mean, particularly you work with younger drivers like Noah. And What difference do you think it's made in the series this year for drivers to be able to have that? Uh, I think it's had a positive effect. Unlike the cup cars where you have raw data getting pushed through S&T all the time from steering and braking and whatnot, where all of our data is really an accelerometer, right? So really just a GPS and it's kind of guessing kind of what your steering wheel inputs and braking and but the one thing it doesn't lie is momentum and, and it shows speed and momentum and, and where you're losing time I think across the board not even for younger guys even for myself it's something that I can not only tell Taylor Moyer what I'm feeling my engineers what's happening they can go and look at pure momentum and where I'm getting beat on these restarts or why we can't capitalize these parts of the races and um, before it was just hope that you trust my word and now there's actually some spots you can circle and really see um, and to be able to show that right there's nothing like seeing it with your own eye and to have the, yourself and your race teams be able to see where you're losing or where you're even gaining I think it's been a help to everyone across all the series and especially as we go back to some of these places twice and um, yeah I mean it's been a tall order for a lot of people especially I think about some of these rookies that have never been to some of these racetracks at all I mean I'm sure they're getting live updates throughout the race about okay you're doing this way different than you were doing 40 laps ago when you never ran a lap here so i've been trying to get the same info uh, on my side so it's uh it's definitely changing the game uh, it's definitely not done changing it's going to continue that way well i was going to ask as a follow-up of do you use it often or is there maybe other drivers or other things that you're looking at comparing yourself to yeah i mean for me i'm more or less looking at where we're getting beat right uh, i have my own take of what I see inside the car, um, but it's not the bird's eye view. And, and it, I may, and I have seen some things that I wouldn't have agreed with unless I had seen some of the momentum that some of the other cars are, are building momentum wise and getting beat by. So uh, it's allowed us to kind of tune on part of what I believe we need and part of what you can see we need. And without that, you may be still a little bit lost trying to figure out, man, how are they just so much faster? But without this, you wouldn't have known. You just knew they were turning better in the gas more, making more speed. So, uh, now we can kind of break down how and, and where and how to fix what we got going on. 
you were full time in something, whether it was a truck or Xfinity or a cup car from 2015 to last year. So 15 through 19. How much of a shock to the system was it when you come into this year before everything went haywire? You come into this year and you're not in the car right away. When you go from being full time and constantly having a routine and one week to the next, how much of a shock to the system was it to sit at home before you got your chance to be in that race car? <laughs> Uh, it wasn't much fun. And if it's up to me, I don't care to ever be in this position again that, about that. But I, I said something last week to someone, they asked me the same question. And, and I said, listen, quite frankly, my entire career prior to NASCAR kind of felt like what I'm doing right now, right? You, you scrape and you claw and you put cars together and you try to round up tire money and somebody to haul your car to the track for you because you don't have that stuff. And next thing you know, you get a shot, right? So you got to get in the car and be ready. You may get the race next week. It may be three weeks before you got enough tire money and help to go do it again. So I've had to kind of relocate that guy inside of me right i think all of us and the ones that especially experience with the situation i'm in as far as being part-time that or being full-time they're going having to be part-time i'm sure they'll say that the weekly grind the in the car back to the shop for three or four days regroup and go do it again you know you can take that for granted i love that grind i, I miss that grind and work extremely hard to do everything i can to be back part of the fold at whatever level full-time when you're not in the car, I, the, the double headers this year, there was a race one weekend, I think it was Kentucky, where Jeb was in the car first, you got it the second day. I think Homestead was the same thing. Dale got it first, you got it the second day. So on weekends like that, you're there, you're paying attention. On other weekends where you're not in the car and it's Jeb's weekend, what's the best use of your time then? Do you pay very close attention to the race? Are you plugged in? Are you listening to the radio? Are you studying? When you're not in the car, what's the best way for you to be spending your time to basically just stay up on what's going on and bettering yourself and being ready for your next race? Yeah, so uh, hang on, are you talking double headers only or just the weekends no, 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 not in? Ju yeah, just the weekends you're not in it. Cause like I said, the double yeah. headers, you're there, you're paying attention cause you're gonna be in it the next day. Mm -hmm. But on just a regular race weekend where it's Jeb's weekend and you're at home, what's the best yeah. way to use your time? Honestly, with the way things have been, if I've been in the car, Jeb's actually had to be there as the backup guy. So both of us have actually, for the most part, been at the racetrack with one another, even whenever it's not our weekend. So you're tuned in one with the race team. I think the other way to answer that question is I'm a big fan of, of scanning other drivers, other teams, the races before the Xfinity races um, and learning the trends, right? Because the tire they're on here at, whatever racetrack this week's maybe a tire that I got to race when I come back on. So, you know, especially when a guy like Kyle or you know, anybody really that runs solid inside the top five or so in the Xfinity series, whatever they're keying off of and trying to put that back in my mental bank of things I could use when I come back. And, and then obviously with as involved as I've been in a lot of the parts and pieces of our cars since probably the second or third week of me being in the car, I know a lot of what's in the cars and telling Jeb what to expect. And uh, when he gets out, getting honest, real live data slash feedback from him as far as, hey, do you think what you've had now is better than what you had a couple weeks ago? Um, do you think it was better than what you had last year? And how can it be better moving forward? So uh, just trying to stay plugged in on, on all avenues because at the end of the day, this is my living. This is, this is my full-time job, even if it's part-time racing. So I try to treat it that way to make myself the best I can be. Scanning other drivers on the radios can be fun and interesting, can it? Because you don't normally get to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be the first guy to say this, but there's nothing better than when the truck race is on and you, you flip over to the uh, you know, truck of Johnny Salter. There's nothing better than that, but I've gotten a kick out of that over the years. But in all honesty, yeah, just you can hear some stuff, but there's also a, a lot of positive and a lot of uh, things you can do to prepare yourself for this.
Yeah. Again, it's just another thing drivers don't normally get to do, which is go listen to other drivers. My last few questions here, I hope we're going to end on a high note, on a fun note. I want to talk about going into Darlington. This episode will air the week leading into Darlington, and it's only appropriate because you've got a fantastic throwback paint scheme honoring John Andretti. So first, I wanted to ask, kind of walk me through just the birth of that paint scheme and how it all came together. Beautiful looking race car. I urge people to go see it if they haven't looked at it. You guys put together a fantastic video rolling that out too. How did just the whole idea come together? Yeah, I mean, well, first off, the Dirty Mo Media guys, uh, our graphic designer, Ryan Williams of JRM, I mean, just killed it with that video and the concept of the car. So much detail. We announced that my poppy bank Camaro would be kind of reflection of uh, John Andretti's 1995 and 96 Cup seasons. I believe it was the Little Caesars car. And there's so many little details uh, about that car. You know, one thing I want everybody to notice is, for one, John Andretti's name is on the passenger side of my car. to be riding with us, which is really special. But there's a little guy on the hood of the car. On John's car, it was actually the Little Caesars guy sitting there holding a hot and ready pizza, you know, with a pizza on top, the little pan. It was pretty neat. And we turned that guy into a poppy bank guy holding the checker flag. So a lot of little things. There was no detail not paid attention to uh, whenever Brian Williams and everyone at JRM was putting that deal together. But back to your question of how it came together, you know, I, I was out of the loop as far as what kind of relationship John Andretti or the Andretti family and the Earnhardts had. I had did not have the recollection of that, you know, when Dale got hurt in that sports car wreck, I believe it was Daytona, right? We got burned up. I could be wrong with that, but when he got hurt, Called, oh yeah, um, the, the sports car wreck. Yeah, so, yeah, I believe that was yeah, Sonoma in 04 around. Yeah. Is that it was okay? So, but like, so John filled in for him, and um, he was always part of DEI there for a couple years following. And and long story short, they were just really tied in. So I started hearing those stories. It kind of perked me up and made me kind of dive in and do my own research of. Not only everybody knows the Andretti family name in racing and what it means in all of motorsports, but I didn't know much about John in particular. So started looking into his event that happened in, in 2017 and how it started the hashtag check it for Andretti campaign and how many lives that it has changed and how many people have saved over the years and had the opportunity to meet uh, Nancy, his wife and uh, his daughter, Amelia. And one thing she said that stuck with me, his daughter said, you know, even near the end, you know, cause John would drive anything. He said, even near the end, he was sitting on the couch with her watching. It was like the nitro uh, boat speed racing. He's like, you know, I really miss not having the opportunity to ever race one of those things, drive one of them. She thought, Dad, look at you right now. That's what you're thinking about? And um, that stuck with me, how much John was a true racer, how much he literally, he drove everything and anything, won about anything and everything he drove. And that's no different than what my dream started as a kid, right? Just wanting to race, not caring what it was, what level it was, just wanting to race and be successful at whatever it was. And there's a, a lot of Andretti's that have done it and done it that way. And it's be really, really cool to really tip our hats to John and his family at Darlington whenever uh, we roll in there. Everybody has a paint scheme every weekend, but Darlington has, of course, become such a unique and fun event. When you have a paint scheme like this where you're honoring someone, and in this case, someone who has left us and fought to the end, but he has such a great name, was a great person. Does it mean a little bit more to have a paint scheme that's different in that regard? Because, again, you carry a paint scheme every weekend, but... When it's a paint scheme that has a meaning and a message, and it's for someone who had such a great career and was a great person, does it mean just a little bit more? It's not just something you 
you look past, right? It's not, okay, we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can't look past it. You know, for me, I think back to, you know, my first year in the Xfinity Series, we honored Jeff Green, which was a family friend of mine. Uh, The second year was Walker Evans, which was a huge fan and family friend. Or I was a huge fan and and whatnot of Walker and him being, you know, an offered Hall of Fame and his relationship with the Gong family with South Point Hotel and Casino. But this year is the first time I've been a part of something like this, something so special, something so meaningful to where, listen, I, I can only tell you one more quick story. Go for it. About answer your question is when his wife, Nancy, walked around the car at JRM, and I literally just met her like within five minutes of showing her the car. When she comes around to see the emotion and the see, literally see her tear up, oh, it, it almost killed me. I mean, it, it literally, I had to take a second walk away because I was choked up and to see what that means to somebody else that shows the impact that they had on their lives on thousands of other people's lives. And to know that that's in your hands, you're right. My name's right on the race car with him that weekend. That's an incredibly humbling feeling. Yeah. So there's extra special meaning going to Darlington this year. All right. Well, that's where I wanted to end it, which is on Darlington. So again, this episode will air going into Darlington. Daniel, take it away in just preview Darlington for fans. What is it about Darlington? That's so fun that for a driver is unique? What do you have to do to get around that place and just your overall feeling on Darlington Raceway? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say Darlington is unlike anything else, but they leave it at that. You know, for me, I want to tell you that the things you do inside the race car are so uncharacteristic, especially in turns one and two. First off, you have no grip. Everybody knows that. I mean, tires fall off like crazy, which is blast inside of the race car and over the years where you run and how you vary your lines changes your balance and your characteristics of a race car so much yes you have to have a really good race car but you can also do a lot inside the car to make yourself have a good race car that's what i love about the place and you can change it up you know you're not wide open you're not relying on straight grip you're changing directions and doing different things and make yourself have that kind of grip you need so you like options there's no feeling like climbing the hill into turn one and back in the gas and having a huge lift moment again to get off the turn two and and uh, hopefully you don't plug it in the backstretch gate uh, then you go down three and four which is such a tight corner compared to one and two so that I, i've compared a lot to winchester and places like that that i've had a chance to race at growing up and it's just that on a different level uh but the history you roll through it i mean from the, the tunnel you drive through, i mean everything about it there, there's nothing that doesn't make the hair of my arm stand up never thought i have a chance to to race there, let alone be able to carry some of the cool paint schemes I've had over the years there. And um, this year is going to be no different. Daniel, I appreciate the time. This eight team, keep fighting. You're going to keep knocking down those top tens. I love that you're staying positive. I love that everybody's still focused forward on the potential of this team. And it's always good to chat with you. So I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always fun. Um, I enjoy chatting with you as well. And take care. We'll see you around hopefully soon. So that is that. It's all about the fight and not giving up for Daniel and his team. Daniel has six more races behind the wheel this year, including this weekend at Darlington in that tremendous throwback paint scheme honoring John Andretti. You can find it on Daniel's social media or JR Motorsports social media if you have not seen it. It is a very good looking car. Tune in Saturday afternoon to see if Daniel can grab a top 10 finish or maybe get that win he so desperately wants in NASCAR. My thanks to Daniel for the time and honesty, and thank you to Mike Campbell of JR Motorsports for coordinating our interview. If you enjoyed today's episode, which I hope you did, please leave a rating, preferably five stars, and a review. Make sure you have also subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening. Of course, you can also let me know what you think by following me on Twitter, which is the quickest way to get a hold of me. 
and my Twitter handle is at Kelly Crandall. Thank you for listening and the support. See you next week here on the Racing Writers Podcast. <laughs>